Blog Talk Radio. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. So happy to be here, as always, because we're going to talk about movies, and we're going to talk about art, we're going to talk about television, we're going to talk about life, we're going to talk about everything that goes in the stew. Today, just for, uh, I said maintenance, and that was, there was a great play on words that my guests told me on our prelim call, but uh, today, of course, the Oscars came out. If you didn't hear about it, I feel like such a bonehead because I'm used to them being announced in the first week of February. So um, yesterday I was doing a show and we were talking about when did the Oscar nominations come out? And I was like, I think in two weeks. So anyways, with what's been going on in the world, I don't feel bad that I'm a host that wasn't paying attention to what day we all get up at five in the morning to hear the nominations. <laughs> And I love movies as much as anyone. Uh, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, and Arrival. Congratulations on your Best Picture nominees, nominations. I want to say I'm very thankful to see such a great movie like Hidden Figures shoe in for a nomination. Uh, please go into our archives a couple guests back. Mr. Wynn Thomas before uh, the holidays came. He was the production designer of that and really told us a lot of great things about what production designers do. Um, he did Hidden Figures. He did Malcolm X. He did Do the Right Thing. Ron Howard's A Beautiful Mind. Um, we, we got off on a little bit of the Elia Kazan tangent and I was the bonehead that didn't ask him enough about uh, Hidden Figures, but we're here to just talk pictures and movies. We're not here to have this strict, straight, I'm going to host the same way every time. Uh, I want to say Denzel in Fences was amazing. Brutal. Uh, that movie really hit home. Uh, that was how my grandfather was. So that movie to me was kind of an epiphany to see how my grandfather was and not just have my own uh, thoughts or conceptions or stories passed down. Andrew Garfield, amen to the Academy for acknowledging Hacksaw Ridge. I'm adamantly dislike any slurs, comments, labels, anything about ethnicity. That's why I'm not going to say uh, that this is a great year because there's white and other colored nominations because they're all just great actors. Um, it's also because if I ever labeled someone a black person, my dead grandmother would come back to life and smack my mouth. So, uh, but with that, we congratulate all the artists, but Andrew Garfield was so great in Hacksaw Ridge. I saw this movie and I thought they're just going to dump on it because Mel Gibson directed it. It's not going to get any credit. And uh, Mel Gibson got a nomination. Doesn't mean I like Hitler. Um, Hacksaw Ridge got Best Picture nomination. Doesn't mean I'm for Nazi Germany. It just means it was a good movie. And if you haven't seen it, it's like when people say, if you didn't vote, we won't go there. But I'm in a subversive mood this morning, so I'm just going to roll with it. We're not corporately owned. We have no bias. And we're not the fake news. We just love to sit here and talk movies. And we're going to have a great guest today, by the way. His name is Frank South. Um, he's best known for his work on... Uh, Melrose Place has uh, executive producer, which is obviously one of the writers. Also, I'm I believe he was the showrunner. I'll get him to explain more about that. Uh, been around the game a long time. 
um, doing, I mean, doing lots of work. You know, he did Baywatch Hawaii. Um, his credits go back into the 80s. Uh, number of credits. He, uh, producer, writer, executive producer, um, and, and really just a great guy to talk to. So um, he has a lot of other things. He has playwright experience, all kinds of writing experience. Um, as soon as I bring him in and, and introduce him, we'll get going into the road he wants to go. So the last thing I wanted to say was we also have a historical Oscar moment, which again, I already said, I don't like mentioning white or so-called other colors, but uh, for the first time, Barry Jenkins, I can't wait to see Moonlight. Um, congratulations to him getting an Oscar nomination for writer, producer, and director. I know the first person to win those was the great Billy Wilder. So that was suiting because that was what uh, today's guest and I first hit it off talking about in a little coffee shop in Hawaii Kai. Uh, so with that, um, I will introduce Mr. Frank South. How are you today? Hi, I'm good, Paul. How are you? Fantastic. I'm, when I'm doing this show, I'm floating on the clouds. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's my zone. It's like, let's do it. I, I can't find anybody that wants to do a five-hour episode, otherwise I would. <laughs> yeah. So well, I, I, I had let people know about, you know, some of your credits that they could uh, you know, relate to and know, but I, I'd love to start wherever you were. You you would like to start because I know we're going to talk about this subversive art, but I know you wanted to mention some of your background, so oh, yeah. uh, well, I'm I'm ready to go with the flow. Okay, well, you know, I want to just well just to talk about you know, yeah, I, I was a showrunner on um, Melrose after. Um, after Darren left, and um, showrunner and executive producer, and then I and then uh, I left before the final year. Uh, so one year I wasn't on the show. Um, but before that, you know, I did uh, Cagney and Lacey as a and Almost Grown, and which was with you know um, David Chase and Eagle Justice, which was a law show and. Um, Hyperion Bay and Hill Street Blues and I uh, wrote episodes for that and did Maximum Security at Prison Show. A lot of that, a whole bunch of stuff, fame, you know. I was a story editor on that for a long, for a year okay, ago. Okay, I see that here. <laughs> I'm gonna live huh? forever. Uh, that, is it yeah, that? Yeah. I'm gonna live forever. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh, I came in in the eight, uh, nineteen uh, into LA nineteen eighty four um, because my wife Margaret um, was Tony Gans' uh, assistant and uh, was an associate producer there and at his at the Ron Howard uh, company on Fox and they hired me um, to uh, write an episode of Maximum Security. Now, she really, I mean, she, I had known her in New York. We used to, we taught kids, disadvantaged kids, uh, how to write their own stories as little plays in a 
in the Bronx and in Brooklyn and various places. It was a project that she came up with. And as years went on, when we were in Hawaii, we did it again, you know, and uh, I did it in L.A. once uh, um, before Cagney and Lacey. I was doing a show about um, high school. I was going to do Blackboard Jungle before um, they didn't like my script, so they went with someone else and they did it and it was on for a couple couple of years, but. At any rate, during that time, I, I spent some time in the, in central, uh, south central L.A. at a high school doing the same thing that Margaret and I met each other doing. But she was married at the time. I was about to get married. Then blah, 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 things happened. She hires me out in L.A., and we get married. That's and a romantic we, comedy right there. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was a comedy. It could have been a tragedy if I hadn't, you know, come to my senses. <laughs> Jeez, um, but she had moved to L.A. and uh, and I said, I said sure. I left my my friends in New York and uh, where we were all a bunch of performance artists. We were running around town with doing things on the street. We had a performance space where my plays were first put on, and we did improvisational art. We did conceptual art. We did all kinds of stuff. Um, it was, I mean, these. It was a group called Interaction Arts, which, in some form or another, still kind of exists today. But my friends, um, Deborah Warner, Joe Lowry, and and Bill Gord, and others were. Uh, it was an amazing time because we just. This was in the this was in the uh, late seventies and early eighties in New York City. Um, and it was I was working at the World Trade Center, and I was working at Windows on the World as a um, waiter and then a service captain, you know. Um, and I supported myself doing that and uh, doing this art and writing and stuff. And uh, during that time, um, that's when I met Margaret because... Um, Robert Altman uh, saw my Rattlesnake in the Cooler, read my Rattlesnake in the Cooler play because of an actor, Leo Burmester, took it to him. And so he took another one of my plays, Precious Blood, and they were monologue plays. Uh, one was, they, they, you know, they tell, the, it was storytelling plays. And um, in in Precious Blood, there's two people talking, telling the same story, but different versions, alternating. Rattlesnake is just a cowboy story from modern day cowboy story. I, I was going to say just one second um, was. Uh-huh. I, I'm sorry because I I love I I love. I absolutely love the modesty, of of people like yourself, because I know you're not saying Robert Altman in an arrogant way, but. Uh-huh. It's kind of like it's Robert Altman. <laughs> so, well, yeah, as I mean, a it was film amazing. Junkie, I have I, to be I, like, you wrote uh, a Robert Altman movie. That's really cool. Is Rattlesnake in a cooler even available, or is that just like in the dust, it, like some of the uh, great films? It it was he. It was we were off Broadway. First, we did it as a as a couple of plays called Two by South, and they were done um, in at uh, in L.A. and 
um, at LA Actors Theater. Um, and Alfred Woodard, and she did it off Broadway too. Alfred Woodard was in a guy Boyd in in New York um, was uh, was the actor in New York who played out opposite Alfred. Um, but um, Leo Burmester was in the did, and Daniel Danny Darst did the music for Rattlesnake. So then. Uh, we get we got great reviews in in LA, and then a film of his of Bob's that was going to be done in Canada um, called East Rake Hunt with David Bowie. The, it was foreign finance. It fell through. So he calls me in New York, and he said, "I want you to come up here, and we'll write a movie together." Blah blah blah. And there was this thing called Smith County Widow that I wrote a story for that never got past the story, but it was an idea that he came up with and he and I started just riffing on it. And I wrote this story. Um, Coal miner people in both England and in Appalachia. At any rate, the, the movie up North fell through, which means they were also going to finance the the one of, um, Smith County Widow, the whole thing fell through. So he calls me up and says, well, fuck, let's just, I know what, I just, you want to do the plays in, in New York? Because I had nothing else. And I said, well, sure, you know. And so he had a place in New York. And, um, I mean, there's a story <laughs> about meeting him and the first time, which is a great story that um, is is about, you know, when I first, at any rate, we did them off Broadway and then he filmed them on a video with a Panavision lens and it was like he did video editing very early. He did it um it took up a whole room, this editing bit. You know how people do them on laptops? It took a whole room. This was like in oh, yeah. 82 or something, you know? Um, at any rate, they are those things. I think I have a couple of copies of them. Um, they were they were shown and in D.C. He invited me down there. They were on ABC Arts forever. And, uh, you know, when it was first starting... ABC Arts, which is now the Arts Channel, I guess. Um, but it was they had they didn't have a whole lot of material, so my my uh, pieces were on all the time. Those two plays, and but you know it, it was astounding because I, I was at that time I had done these plays. Um, I was working on I was working on Precious Blood, living in a loft downtown, working at the the trade center and at the at windows in the world. And I come home uh, and we have something at 66 was our performance space. And so I was supposed to go there, but I wanted to first, I want to just take a second because it had been a bad lunch and a hard lunch service. And so I, and I was walking distance from, you know, from the world trade center. I was out on church street. So, Walk upstairs. I get up there and I just um, sit down and I look at this new script.
script I'm working on about the Midwest and rape and 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 death. And I'm thinking, oh, and I get a phone call um, from my agent. Now I was it was so it was weird enough that I had an agent because but they had come to performance of, of Rattlesnake where I I did the performance me doing it and I wrote it so that I'd have something to do as an actor you know so they uh, called and my agent called and said you know blah 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 how are you listen why don't you sit down and I said oh what I, I know you're not family so no one's died uh, so <laughs> right. let's Let's, you know, I don't, I hate that sit down stuff. Um, so just right. tell me. He says, and he says, well, Robert Altman wants to, uh, wants to meet you. He's interested in doing your play. Uh, and I said, um, what, Robert Altman? Not Robert Altman, Robert Altman. You mean, I mean, Bob Alt- Robert Altman? And he said, yeah, that one, the one, the director. Now, understand, I had posters up. Of McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which was a movie that I thought yeah, was the most brilliant thing ever made, and I, I, I just and um, there were other, others, other ones of his as well that just just made a huge difference to me. Uh, McCabe especially, uh, being a fan of westerns and everything, and and thieves and like us also. For people that don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Warren Beatty and Julie Christie. It was like unbelievable, unbelievable movie. And, um, uh, you know, great moments in there. Like if a frog had wings, he wouldn't flap his, he wouldn't hit his ass so much. And, <laughs> you know, and and terrifying uh, moments of, of of violence that would happen like on, on, the, on the bridge, walking over the bridge. And a guy, it, it's just amazing. And then, Thieves Like Us, which was a 1930s thing based on a, on a James M. Cain novel. It was just amazing. So those movies are in my head almost all the time, you know, and because uh, they're like movie literature to me. Uh, you know, and funnily enough, McCabe and Mrs. Miller was also based on a novel by a guy named McNaughton, who I met when he came in to pitch a story at Katie and Lacey. <laughs> Oh, so anyway, okay, okay. But anyway, life is funny. So I sit down, I listen to this, the, uh, and I say, okay, okay. He says, now he wants to meet you. Uh, here's his uh, address at the Delmonico, which was, I don't think it's called that anymore. It, um, uh, Catherine Altman, who just who was this, the most wonderful lady. She, she recently died, but she... Uh, when I saw her some years later, just um, about a few years ago, I was over at her place with some friends, and she said we sold that place for a mint to Trump. <laughs> oh. And uh, so they bought a, a nice, a nice place. But anyway, I went to his place, and they said, "Do whatever you do, don't drink." And I get there, and he's it's around noon, and. He's uh, he's he's in his robe, and answers the door, and and he's on the phone going, "Well, I don't know, I don't know what happened. I the guy's a, if I I don't know, I have his medallion number. I don't know, I don't know. Look, look, just 
send, send, give me an overnight package. You know, uh, I need a, I need a few hundred dollars. A thousand will do. Just in hundreds is fine. I gave the guy a hundred dollar bill for a ten dollar cab ride, and, and that's just oh, I don't know. Just send it to me. He hangs uh, he hangs up. Says, "So you're Frank?" I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, come in, come in, come in." And uh, he's walking around in his robe, and he uh, said, I like your stuff. I like it. I like it. Uh, uh, you want a drink? And, you know, back then and for many years afterwards, I was uh, uh, not what you call a, a good drinker. I, I, I'm an alcoholic, so, you know, I didn't know it or admit it then. But I, I, did, I remember my agent said, oh, no, thank you, no. And <laughs> he said, he said, he said uh, have a drink. It's after lunch, so you can have a drink. I don't trust a man who doesn't drink. I said, okay, well, I'll have a, I'll, I'll, I'll have, um, uh, just a gin. You know, I'm a martini, a gin. And, and he says, good, I hate gin. Good, I have a whole shitload over here. Here you go. And he makes this, you know, tumbler kind of martini. He gets some scotch. I forget what he drank. And, uh, we sit down and we start talking, and he's asking me about what books I read. And at that time, I was reading um, um, Barry. Oh, I forget his name. He did, he did um, Airships. Uh, I forget. I forgot the guy's last name. Author's last name. But he, he did um, some Vietnam stuff, and and then we talked about that. And we talked about other writers, and uh, which was amazing to me because he wasn't like asking me. Um, you know, what do you think about me? He was interested in what uh, my sort of influences were and stuff, and he asked me about the story uh, about Rattlesnake. He said, how much of it is your life? I said, well, part of it is. I didn't kill anybody like that guy in the, my story does, but um, it's based on when I was a handy man on a dude ranch, or a handy boy on a dude ranch. And uh, and some of the guys I met, some Wranglers and stuff. And then I just went off on a whole nother thing, tear with it. And um, so we talked about that. We talked about what I was writing. I had just finished this other play, and we were going to take it down down to Georgia, which we did, you know, our little group and our compact little broken-down Toyota went down there and did a bunch of performances, including Precious Blood, um, and he said, "Well, let me read that before you go." And in the meantime, let's go. To, let's go. Um, um, what, here, have a joint. And I thought, "Oh, this is really bad news. This is bad for me. I'm going to be bad." I, I, I'm, uh, but and then some. Some. Uh, we'll go to Elaine's. I said, "Okay," because we tried a pasta machine and it didn't work. Well, we didn't make <laughs> it. It didn't. It really didn't happen. And but we were. Um, making each other laugh by that point. And, uh, you know, this was a meeting at uh, 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock like that. And now it's you know, supposed to be like a half-hour meeting. And now we're at 8, and some guys come by uh, who wanted to pitch them a song. We listened to them, and he, and he said... Uh, I want you to hear. I want you to listen to this tape. He hands me a cassette. It says this guy's name is Danny Darsh. Listen to him. 
these guys are shit. Um, but let's let's get, uh, they left and he said no, they weren't any good. But this guy's what you gotta listen to. Cause I and I want to I um and he he um already had started casting it in his head uh, in terms of the other play. And uh, uh, she says, this is actress. She's amazing. Alfred Woodard is amazing. You, you, I, she's not. A, you don't see her much, but she's great. And um, and she was, um, or is. And um, so the night went on. I'm now drunk. I get sick in his toilet before before we go to 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 go to 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 Elaine's. <laughs> I think I'm, I said I, I said, I'm not I'll just I'll be right with you. Come on, where do I go? Let's go. Oh, I just called the cab, <laughs> and and I'm okay, okay. And I go into the uh, bathroom, and the half cooked pasta we made, and all the drinks, everything comes out. And he's knocking on the door. You all right? You all right? <laughs> and I said I'll be. And then he opens the door. I've forgotten to lock it. He says, Oh. Well, I've done that. No big deal. Wash your face off. Let's go. And we go to and and so don't worry about it. And so we go to Elaine's, and there I am at a table with at Elaine's, and he's talking to me while he while he's playing a game of backgammon on the side with someone else, one of his backgammon buddies. Um, and I'm. At Elaine's, and I'm blah blah, and I'm trying to be friendly with the waiters. And saying, "I'm a, I'm a writer, but I'm also a waiter too, just like you." I mean, I it's a, and he said, "They don't care, Frank. They don't care. <laughs> Let them do their <laughs> job. Eat your veal." <laughs> and um, right. <laughs> and then, then you know, we just happen to get along. Uh, he's one of those guys that. Uh, When he responds to you, um, he he's he did, you know, he just did. He he had a he was very loyal, and 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 Catherine, his wife, was also astounding, and you know, he's his kids. You know, Bobby Altman is now doing a. Uh, he's he's uh, directing episodes of Bones and, and uh, has been a DP forever. He was a DP on Melrose for me for a while. Um, well, I guess he was a camera operator. He didn't get along with my DP, or my DP didn't get along with him. I forget. But he's incredibly talented, and he's directing TV and uh, great kid. Great. Well, but that was how I that, that was that was my time, and you know, so I was. Uh, had those they went they were on they were in New York and it was you know huge and uh for me you know and um then he went on to direct streamers and a bunch of other things and you know um I happened to be there when his career took a dip <laughs> so right. he could do some off Broadway plays which he'd never done before and this, well you like I mean I mean player and all those yeah. things. Yeah, the player came much later when he um right. that was um I was in LA by then and uh he said, Do you wanna be in a movie? And I was on my way to I was in the car 
on my way to back east because I was taking some time to write up a, a pilot and meeting and, uh, my wife and then very young son were going going to meet me there and we were going to stay near my parents on the Chesapeake and I said well I won't be around and he said oh damn I got a bunch of people coming in for this thing um, but I'm going to take your name in vain if you don't mind I said no no go ahead and uh, so that's how my name ended up in that long opening uh, that long opening uh, what uh, the shot that long walking shot, shot. But I, he says, he says, what about harder than Frank South? And they say something about him. And well, okay, we'll set that meeting up. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm I'm gonna have to go. And I, this is at a library that I go to that I'm going to tonight. So I hope they have it. But it's funny that you say that because my friend's dad was a. Uh, there's that scene in American Graffiti when uh, what's his name, the the older guy starts hitting on Mackenzie Austin mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. And they say to him, do you know Frank Turlock or Frank Bartlett mm-hmm. from Turlock? Well, that was my friend's dad. His high school had, had a, George Lucas had a contest and said, we'll draw one name out of a hat, whoever it is. Uh, <laughs> well, so we laugh because we're like, we joke. We're like, you know, Frank B from Frank Bartlett from Turlock. And we're like, no, he's married now. And his wife tells him what to do. <laughs> or like, <laughs> We change the story. So. It's kind of a funny thing. I'm like, it's cool. Your dad's name is an American graffiti forever. Um, yeah. But yeah. since you since you just told us about such a great, um, obviously the master subversive, um, and I, I never I never advocate it because I don't want you know young student filmmakers to understand it. But like the story you just told, like I I was loving that story because I I'm. I've had so many projects that got funded just because it was like somebody that I always got stoned with or got <laughs> drunk. And it's like, you know, like you walk that fine line where you can't walk in a high school classroom and be like, you know, just get hammered with someone. And by the end of the night, they're going to write you a check. Like, so right. <laughs> um, I thought that story was really great. I knew when you said where it was going. Um, but uh, since, since we're talking about subversive, um, mm-hmm. I, I went through this site that, uh, with everyone, um, just Google Melrose Place and Subversive Art, and you get three or four different really cool um, uh, options. You get one that's about the artist, and you get the – this is some really amazing shit. Um, the the abortion drug, the condoms. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I was – that show, I was kind of going through puberty, so I was – I was wondering why I was interested in condoms and I was of <laughs> course also in, into 90210. Um, yeah. So as I was looking at this condom blanket, I was thinking, I do remember in that show that everybody is, you know, getting it on and then mm-hmm. that it takes place in West Hollywood. Once you know what West Hollywood is, then it's like, you know, whoa, there's a whole nother side to it, but I'm watching mm-hmm. this as a kid in Honolulu. Right. So Right. I don't know the Viper Room and the Sunset Strip and and you know I, I, I'm thankful my dad told me about condoms before I was yeah. using them. So I, you know because it saved my life. Um, yeah. So uh, some of this I, I'm just obviously you can explain it best, but I would I would just love to hear this because um, I mean today with I'm not even going to get into uh, what such and such did yesterday with the 
anti-abortion orders, but um, mm-hmm. this blanket, where would you like to start? Because this is just some amazing well, shit. It was, you know, it's funny because when we, when I was there in October, the election hadn't happened yet. Yeah? And oh. it was the opening of the show. Now the show, and in November when we did the the panel, there's a the video will be, I, I think Red Bulls or somebody's putting out the video sometime or another, but did a video of 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 a panel discussion with the artists and um and me and uh um uh, Rob Estes came. Um that it was actually after the election and there was a lot of talk about how art in a in society is has to be um brave and has to put out the message and has to take risks and be human in the face of 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 a kind of an oppressive conformity which is really what um, when people say they like order and they like, you know, when people in power say they like order, they like things to be predictable, they don't like this kind of raucous blah, blah, blah. Well, human beings by nature, we're raucous, we question, we're messy, we make mistakes, we're not orderly. We're just not. And those of us who are also in the disability community, we're extreme, and, and especially in physical and mental disability community, we're especially impatient with order and other people's idea of order, which makes us uh, have a, helps us have quite an affinity for artists because uh, true artists say, call bullshit on that um, because that's where <laughs> any, and anything comes from that's any good. All that comes out of order is suppression, and suppression for more order. Order breeds order breeds, you know, okay, if you want to, um, it, it's, but, you know, from Lucy at the chocolate, uh, making chocolates to order to to the most, um, to Klaus Oldenburg making huge cherries and spoons in the middle of, of a, of a, uh, of a square that's so giant because it's, it blows your head away with what reality is. We're always, we don't have as human beings really an accepted reality. You know, we all look at things and feel things differently. And as groups, we tend to find, you know, those uh, of affinity. And so I think, um, Artists and those with disabilities who who are and and anybody with a with a skewed sense of of the world writers uh, filmmakers all kinds of now there are people Michael Bay of the of the world Michael Bay's of the world who love order and then like to and then like to blow shit up in a very orderly way and like the volume turned up loud and make the same movie over and over again and good luck for the I that's fine you're going to be a bazillionaire but Altman uh and from Altman to 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 all kinds of folks um the, Sydney Lamette. or the order just doesn't 
It doesn't help. So what you look for is disorder. Well, thank God there's order because we we would we don't have any wouldn't have anything to uh, to, to rebel against, I guess. But what happened on Melrose is. I'm in am in LA making a living a good living for my family, um, and I'm looking for the best jobs for for me to you know use my talents in. But you know you you get the job the best job you can, and um, I uh, I was lucky to be on Cagney and Lacey for a while for two three years where I, or I was able to really. Um, write some serious stuff and some funny stuff and was, you know, appreciated for my take on these. Although I got in huge fights with people still, it was, it was great. And, um, and when I worked on maximum, maximum security as well and some other shows, but by the time you're doing Melrose place, you know, you're, you, you're doing something, you're, what you're trying to do is do a show by nature that's making fun of of soap operas, nighttime soaps, in the middle of a company that made the best nighttime soaps of its time, like, you know, Spelling made, you know, the dynasty, for God's sake. So we're taking that mold and turning it sort of inside out and making, you know, gentle fun, but we're still writing... You know, absurd stories, trying to trying to screw the line, but you're doing 32 episodes a year, up to 36 one year, and you're just and you're in a story room knocking the stuff out, and you're writing these things, and looking at cuts, and uh, it, it's not like it doesn't. <laughs> The part of you that was that guy running around New York City and, uh, and with a couch on your head with two other guys and doing Smith Brothers improvisations on the subway and who's finding out all kinds of things about, you know, art and expression from from being on the street and, and going to see – Great stuff at the kitchen and 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 uh, at at, um, uh, at Franklin Furnace and you know conceptual art. You're just you're surrounded with performances by that are performances that are like scary good because they they knock you out with their the with their daring. There's only so much daring you can get into Melrose Place before someone says, uh, "Hold up there." So, and this is not what it's for. Really, you know, it's to be entertaining and fun and uh, and clever, right? So that part of me is the the bust the furniture and and do art part is is pretty much wilted away in a little corner of my brain. When Deborah Siegel comes in, she's my um, art decorator, scene decorator. She's in charge of putting stuff up, making the, the, art, the art director. And she comes in, she's making, you know, scene decoration and props and like that, all that stuff. And she says, uh, Frank, I got to talk to you for a second. And I said, yeah, what, what? And 
<laughs> you know, she had to come all the way from the set, which was up in Santa Clarita. I'm downtown. And uh, she said, hey, I'll talk to you. I did some things. And turns out she had a, 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 a conceptual artist named Mel Chin, who I had heard of before. But it wasn't in my life because I wasn't doing that anymore. She said, well, uh, proposed putting some um, art that has other meanings in the background on some of these these uh, shows, uh, on our shows. And so I, I hung a couple of things up there. And I was just going to keep doing it like that, but then I felt bad that I, I trust you and like you, and I was hoping that you could give me the okay. I know it's like really out there, but it was like somebody coming in and just breaking open a window to me. It was like sunlight poured in. I couldn't believe it. It was like, what a gift. It's like that maybe there is some kind of higher power <laughs> that, that puts <laughs> things into, puts things, connects things. Because if, if there was an executive producer, showrunner in L.A. with my background, I don't know him, you know, um, you don't see many performance artists running shows. Ex-performance. Oh wait, one, 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 one second, Frank. Would you mind just giving just a quick explanation for those that don't know uh, the showrunner? It just basically goes Fox, Aaron Spelling, then you. Like just a, just a brief explanation of what that yeah. is. So the so the well, there's you know the the showrunner is the person who's ultimately in charge. Uh, of the day-to-day running of a show, you you are in charge of the you're in charge of the writing staff. You're in charge of making sure that things are done um, financially correctly, and with you have final say in casting. You have final say in about everything. Um, of course, in my my situation, uh, and with anybody with any company, you're the showrunner, but there's a company above you, and there's a network and other people who have opinions, right? But in terms of, the, and they will sometimes be very forceful about their opinions. And there were times when I would go pitch stories to Aaron, and he'd say, "What?" <laughs> but I'd say, you know, well, 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 Aaron, look, 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 look. She goes, she said, what, Kimberly, Kimberly is what running an asylum? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I want her to run this asylum, and then they capture Peter, and she's going to give him a, a lobotomy. Wait a second. You just had Kimberly as a as a mental patient. I said, yeah, but she escaped. <laughs> he said, well, stop <laughs> it, stop it. Just how could she be a mental patient? Because she's a doctor, she's a physician, and she goes up north. And why? Tell me why? Why did? How did you come up with this story? Why? Why are we doing this story? As, on, okay, Aaron, I'm going to be completely honest with you. You remember once the wolf with cuckoo's nest? Well, sort of. I said, do you remember that? Do you remember that scene when they all escape, and they're like wraiths in the uh, outside, you know, in those white um, gowns and stuff. Remember that scene? The doctors. <laughs> yeah. And as well as all the all the patients are, have escaped, right? You know, and they're all in and out, and uh, and I, I want to do that. What? I want to shoot this so that they escape at night and the lights are going around and you see these you see these these uh, apparitions like that. That's why you're doing this thing where she's uh, where Kimberly's. I said, yeah, well, basically, yes. 
<laughs> and he said, okay, just make sure it works. And then later, you know, when I had uh, the hand come out of the dirt um, at the end of a of a season, you know, I the the uh, um, the sisters <laughs> killed the guy with a shovel, buried him, and are um, walking away, and this hand comes shooting out of the dirt, and. They said, well, why do you want to bury him? And uh, can't he just be in a uh, – make more sense if they just left him in a gully and he crawled out. I said, yeah, but see, I just saw Blood Simple. You ever seen Blood Simple? Oh, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, Coen Brothers' first movie, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, see, I just seen that, and I said, you got to have to hand him out of the dirt. Plus, in Carrie, in the dream sequence, that came out of the dirt. But the Coen Brothers one is the one I'm really imitating. And they said, all right. Sometimes you just see Aaron just shake his head and close his eyes. But, <laughs> you know, he was, he let me do it. He was a, he was a, he could get, I could get, he could get excited creatively. We would talk stories sometimes. He would me, and he would challenge me on things. But you had a man, he was always protecting Amanda. And I, and I said, uh, I don't know if we want to go back into the back. Darren always said, you don't want to know anything about Amanda's past. I said, well, I do. And since he's not here anymore, how about we do it? And this is what I think. And, and he'd go back and forth. And uh, that was fun. But with all those things, going, I was just trying little things, right, to keep me interested, to keep hopefully keep the audience interested. But then... Deborah Siegel comes in and says that there's artists who want to put art up on the show. And I said, well, of course it's okay. And then there was a big to-do because the line producer saw a piece up. It was called um, – that was, had the Murrow Building blown up, a, a, a photograph of the Murrow Building blown up, and it was the shape of a bottle, uh, like an absolute bottle. And oh, wow. And it was a it was a take on that stuff on violence and alcohol and on everything in America. And the uh, line producer, this is this, and it was called Absolute Proof. And you know, just like those ads were absolute this and that. And he he took it down. Well, I had him put it back up, but then um, I uh, and he was going to tell Aaron all about it. And I said, don't, 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 don't. I'm going to go meet with him anyway. I'll, I'll tell him a little bit about it. But I don't want um, you getting him all upset because this is going to be fine. Now, I did that. I, I kind of told him I'm getting some free art put up. And these are artists that I really like. And All right. As long as it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> well, well, what happened was we started talking. Mel Chin and I had lunch. And Mel Chin is an amazing artist. And he had this whole group of artists he put together called the Gala Committee. And it was artists in Georgia and Los Angeles, Gala, G-A-L-A, and, uh, and also in Kansas City. All these young student artists. And yeah, we he said if we did this, we could put out more pieces, but then we would need to have. To, we would like to make art for the show that has to do with the episodes. 
And I said, well, I do these things way in advance. You know, the scripts are are locked way ahead of time. We we were locked. We'd gone through all the colors, so you go through um, way early. Often, I mean, we 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 went. Oh, I mean, changes were done, but I mean, we went through drafts and we locked them early because we had do, we we did double up shows and stuff where we shoot, shot two shows at the same time. So also. Scripts aren't supposed to go out. This was at a time when we were on the front page of People and TV Guide and everything else all the time. And uh, we were known for our plot twists and craziness and stuff. So to let scripts out was would be, um, well, the network would have a shit fit. Aaron would have a shit fit. And if they knew we were coordinating the art that was going to be on, with all these artists, I said, well, no, no one can know. Uh, I'll take the heat whenever it happens. But then, <laughs> I love uh, it. <laughs> and so I got, uh, Carol Mendelson was the only other writer on the show who responded as much as I did to the idea of having all this, this, this conceptual art topical conceptual art about the things that are going on in our country at the time, which with this new administration are going on again. Suppression of women, minorities, artists, uh, getting in the, the national government, artists, all that kind of stuff is going on right now again. Um, but at that time it was, and we decided we would say something about it. And we would say something about gay rights and about uh, uh, two men and or two women having children and and having a family and that being a family. And we did under the cover of ad campaigns in D and D and um, in clothing, clothing made at the boutique and um, and and even down to the jewelry that was used. There was a pin that was used to to stab. Um, um, that um, they used to stab this one guy who was supposedly a court. It wasn't wasn't as dead as they thought, but they they stabbed him with the thing. But it wasn't it was a pin designed with the idea of uh, the Egyptian sign of the dead and also the uh, um, Middle East oil and all that stuff. Now, admittedly, you're watching the show. You're not picking up on all of this, but occasionally something will hit you. It's gonna, you know, um, uh, Billy holding up a sign for a holding up a, a poster for a an ad campaign that says family values on it, and it has the outline of two men holding a baby. And we are we're um, that um, and. Uh, a yellow kind of warning sign, you know, it's this, like you do for deer crossing, and it has a family running across the border. Um, it, it's it's we did these things um, over two years. This was a huge project, and then finally ended up being at a um, at the end was at the MOCA, was in L.A. The, it filled the whole gallery. And I shot an episode. 
that's great. Uh, with all of our art there, and um, we had a scene about because um, um, we had one. Uh, it's called Fireflies, a painting that that someone did. We uh, we also had violence violence in L.A. and uh, with David Hockney like paintings of things like Marilyn's house and the Viper Room and all that stuff. Um, but this one was fireflies and it was just black with all these sparks on it. And uh, and Amanda and and Kyle stand in front of it and Kyle says, "Well, um, uh, she says it's really pretty. It looks like it is, oh, it's fireflies." I said, "Yeah." He said, "That's not really what it is." It's Baghdad, and um, uh, so we were able, and we were able to write about. You know, the thing is, you and write about war, and that led to a whole series because of the interplay between the artists and the gala committee. Because Carol flew to Kansas City, I had to fly to Kansas City to meet with all the artists there, the whole gala committee, and talk about you know, what the limits were, what we could and couldn't do, and how to, uh, so that we could understand each other better. And Mel Chin and I had lunch, and I told him I want to bring in a new character who's an artist, who can paint. And I'll give us even more time, more, and really feature some of the pieces. Everything from the paddles at an auction to, to the tiniest things to the biggest things, we're all influenced by this work. And it was all completely undercover until <laughs> until towards the end, when uh, the New Yorker came out with an article on the front on the opening column of of uh, Talk of the Town about Milchin putting art in in, in uh, Melrose Place. And I went into the studio early all the time. And, uh, one of the Major Domos of Aaron's, one of the guys, office guys, came down and dropped the New Yorker on my desk. It's like six in the morning, right? No one else is in the office. And then I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, it's pretty cool, huh? And the guy says, <laughs> well, we're not sure about that. Um, I know Mr. Spelling will want to talk to you. He'll be in around nine or ten. We'll call. I said, okay. And so I went in, and uh, he said, the only thing you ever told me about this was that there was maybe be a couple of free art pieces put in of artists you like. That's all you said. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, so you've been doing this without telling me. I said, well, I couldn't tell you. It would be on you then. You know? What can I say? The network, you know, by the time the network comes uh, finds out, they'll – you know, go along, but they would stop it. It never would have happened if anybody had known. Because there's too many people saying, no, 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 we don't want to do anything controversial, blah, blah, blah. So we were able to do all this. Um, now, Mel said that's not subversive. It's it's uh, contextual, conceptual art that has but to me there was a wonderful subversive nature to it um and at, at any rate um i was as i ended if there was one thing that i was the most proud of that i've done in television 
with that. Um, it brought my whole, for me personally, it brought my whole life together in a, a tighter, came around. What I, what I want, how I wanted to do things, how I wanted to be as an artist, as a, as a writer, as a collaborator, uh, finally all came together. And well, these, these pieces are so fantastic. I mean, it's called Total Proof for those of you of uh, what we've yeah. been talking about, the exhibition. And there's one that really kind of tripped me out because I've been, in the last uh, six or seven years, I've been hit twice by drunk drivers, once as a pedestrian oh. and once as a, in a car. And so yeah. when I saw that bottle of a drunk driver, you know, I thought, I'm like you were saying, I mean, I, I used to get so hammered, I couldn't spell my name, and it's Paul. Right. And I'm just like, give your keys away, you know, like it, it takes mm-hmm. like two seconds, it's, you know, and so I saw that and I was pretty tripped out. And on a side note, I wanted to uh, thank you and, and no offense if you're, I mean it in the most respectful way, um, but Courtney Thorne Smith uh, was like 23 or something or 24. And mm-hmm. this is why I remember Melrose Place because I was going through <laughs> puberty and I'm like, I, I knew her from summer school, that old Carl Reiner cheese ball with Mark Harmon and, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and Mr. Shoop. And, and so I was like, Hey, I think that's the girl from summer school, but I'm like, uh-huh. you know, just looking at her the whole time. So unfortunately what, what was kind of frustrating me, not in a bet, not frustrating me. What was tough as I was planning for this was that because this was a show that came on after my bedtime, and then when you see uh-huh. it, it, it's not in order. Um, you just get, you kind of get to look at it and it's like, oh, this is that R-rated movie my dad wouldn't let me watch. Or uh, <laughs> so, I, so I don't remember Altman's last film to know that this is where it's at, but it's like, okay, this is, so um, I just remember, you know, there was those few people in school that could talk about it and, and it's racy and these people are doing this. So when you told me about this, uh, this art exhibit, I personally, mm-hmm. I thought it was one of the coolest things. And I love, mm-hmm. uh, and thank you for telling us how much that tied uh, art together for you, because I I personally think every chance an artist should be subversive or in their own way, you know, be mm-hmm. saying, you know, fuck you to the war or to a president. Um, yeah. I'm all for it. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. our job, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think, like yeah. you said, the order, that just kind of floored me. I was kind of just sitting back here listening when you said that because there's no, um, like, Oliver Stone's uh, Natural Born Killers. That was the first movie mm-hmm. that just, uh, I remember I snuck into it, like, four or five times, and it was NC-17, so I couldn't even get my dad to take me to it. And I just mm-hmm. remember being like, this is so chaotic. And then I watch it now, and I'm just like, that's what life is like in whatever the way the tiniest or the craziest there's always some kind of chaos waiting to grab you yeah and I thought and it's like you're saying like why does it have to be called out of order when actuality he and especially talk about with what's going on in the media right now with the way natural born killers indicted the media and you know uh, so that leads me to a question I had that since you're an artist that appears sense down to performance art, down to not doing it. So you can say you work for Aaron Spelling and you're in charge and kiss my ass and mm-hmm. grab my coffee. Um, what was it like to see your art 
in these magazines and know that so much of the world was seeing and hearing your voice. Yeah, well, the thing was, it was my voice, sort of. It was my voice. I mean, it was my voice, sort of, though. You know, it was all of our voices on the staff. But, you know, the thing is, I, I, I was, it was like, it was for public consumption. You know, it was, you're you're under a strain. You're not completely doing, but it's what I could sell. I mean, it's what I was going to be paid to do. I wanted to support my family. So, yeah, it was out there. It was great to be a success for a period of time. But then, you know, when, um, you know, if you're doing Baywatch Hawaii, no one's going to say, oh, that was some great art. You know, now, to, as far as I'm concerned, we, you know, I brought on women writers, stopped the jiggle running, you know, made stories that were family oriented about actually saving lives, and the play, the thing was canceled. So, you know, what do I know? So, but the, 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 the and honored Hawaii. That was my main thing when I was on that show. But you know, you're doing things within the the box. And now um, I'm sort of back um, doing things that I want to do, like I used to, and to to whatever success they'll be. But it was great to know to see some of the people get some of the jokes and I, I ran into some young guys at the first, uh, at the opening of the show who were with this band. They're in their twenties and they were in this band called, uh, yellow rain. And they're this, they do electronic music and, um, very intense guys. And they said, they wanted to talk to me and I said, okay. And they said, we were little kids. And we've done, um, uh, we've done. Um, we want to make a video into a DVD to send you, just because all we have is it on video. But we did a whole, like a masterpiece theater of Melrose, because we were little kids. We were well, our parents. We were so little, but we would watch the show, and we all think there's so much. You put so much in it, hidden stuff that. And now that time, there's even hidden art that makes sense to us. But we just thought it was the most. And, you know, so they, and I thought, well, that's cool. But on the whole, really, you know, it was an entertainment and it was fine. I'm, you know, there's not going to be any big, um, you know, retrospective of my work <laughs> by the WGA, <laughs> you know. Um, it's just not. Um it, it's just, I mean, one, one, of, one of the things I remember seeing, and they wrote an article after when I was, after I'd been on running the show for about a year or so, um, Time Magazine wrote an article about the show called Stop the Inanity. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so, you know what, I, I, that's fine. I, um, I, uh, I have I my I but the thing was that besides all of that stuff this thing when I went to New York and saw it all together and listened to Mel and some of the other people and saw how important it was in the art world that this happened that this was out in public in a mass media that this 
art was in a mass media forum, not – he talks about breaking the walls of the galleries, breaking the – of galleries and collectors. Now, all funnily enough, everything, all the art pieces that are <laughs> – that um, were made for that show are all collected. A lot of them are in Germany and this place and that place, but rich collectors have them. But it was groundbreaking. So that the fact that this was groundbreaking conceptual art by Mel, uh, organized by Mel Chin with all these young artists who were at that time student artists and who are now still – a lot of them are, are artists in, um, doing, you know, uh, extremely well-regarded art in, in, in the United States now. But, you know, M- Mel – made this Melrose Place live in a world that I always aspired to. They did it. I opened the door and protected it so they could do it, you know, and and uh, and was able to, you know, we, we sent scripts. You know, we would have all these subterranean things of copying scripts and sending them to Kansas City <laughs> way ahead of time so that they could do art Reflective, and then get get me to approve it or not approve it. It was an well, astounding experience. The way you're saying send this off to Kansas City, it's it's like making me think of uh, the movie Casino, has how the guy has to take the envelopes back to the mob boss in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was. <laughs> it was we had these. I mean, we were sending by FedEx. The FedEx truck was going like crazy. We had all these scripts that were like gold. You understand? If anybody in the press had gotten a hold of those scripts ahead of time, all of our stories would have been spoiled, right? The right. network would have had a shit fit if they had known this was going on. I think they found out later, and even though it was by that time they were, you know, it was a cause celeb uh, at the, towards the end of the show with all these, you know, but they were really still pissed at me. <laughs> well, you know. You guys, your guys' premise, though, for the show, and again, like I said, this is hard to find for someone my age. The people were the age they were supposed to be, right? Because for me, I look back on 90210, or I see it in syndicate now, and I have no clue how we believed that Luke Perry was 17. Yeah, well, this, like, 90210 was, had to, was walking a different line. They walked the line of, of this, is, this is real and these are real problems, and intensified right right in melrose everybody was in their 20s and 30s that was accepted and uh you were late mid late 20s 30s so it was all you know everybody was pretty much playing their age and so it was the it was like um but this was this was did not have the sincerity of 30 something you know this was Everybody, everybody. Oh, got okay. Real. My parents used to watch that, right? Okay, I remember. I remember right. that. You know how, uh, how everything was so so important. I'm thirty something. You know, they're, whether they're gonna, you know, the, their business deals and whether they're being a success or not. You know, it was more. Um, it was more. It was more uh, balls to the wall and Melrose and and funny. I mean, we were going for we were going for the. A lot of times we were really poking fun at the whole soap opera idea at night, but with 20 to 30, people in their 20s and 30s, that if you look at the nighttime soap 
normally as people in the the main characters in their 40s and 50s or older, you know. Right. Um, they are way established, super rich. So it makes sense, right? Dallas, they were all, you know, of age. You know, they were mature adults doing ridiculous things. Well, we did it in the 20s. They were in their 20s and 30s, still, you know, struggling, trying to make a living in L.A. In West and, Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Melrose. Yeah. Yeah, Melrose, like, of course, where Paramount mm-hmm. is. I mean, I remember being a geek and just trying to drive in the gate, and the guy would be like, turn around, and I'd be like, well, I got to turn around at Paramount. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but Melrose you know, Place is right near where all the galleries are and all that stuff over there. Near, oh, you know. okay, okay. Melrose Place That's is like good. in the, is in like the Coinga area, like around right in there. Oh, okay. Because you, when you mentioned Viper Room, um, oh uh, yeah, well that popped to my mind. Yeah, yeah. That's, no, that I was, mean, wasn't set. There. It's set in like just a you know low rent kind of apartment house. Now, you know, luckily, all these interesting people live there. And you know, for at uh, first okay. it was it was a very sincere show, very sincere, you know, kind of show. And then we just took I I got on the show, and then you know we we got Heather Locklear on the show, and we just started taking off. By the end of the first that week, I that I do all, remember, my my brother was the biggest Motley Crue fan, so of course, like at age uh-huh. six or seven, oh, I sure, knew sure. who Tommy yeah. Lee's wife were, and. Um, but what I, but what I was mentioning about the Viper room was the first time I ever went there, of course, it's the stupidest reason as somebody who's into film history to say, this is where river Phoenix died, but he was one uh-huh. of my favorite actors. And, and yeah. I went in there and I said, Hey, can I, you know, smoke a cigar or something? Do you guys have like a cigar lounge? And he goes, there's no smoking here. And it just <laughs> came out. I said, this place is famous for doing Coke and fucking eight balls. I said, you're going to give me shit about a cigar? And the fact that I asked, I didn't light up. And he just looked at me with this mean look. I went, I said, I bet you I can cop some shit tonight if I wanted. And you're really acting like a cigar is going to hurt anyone? My God. And I thought I just had to shut up because I was there for an artist that I was covering her show. So I didn't want to get kicked out. So I stopped being mouthy. But it's really, I mean, you know how that is in Hollywood. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, you're going to say we can't do this, but we can go 100,000 miles past what's legal, and that's cool. Yeah, because uh, everything is about but, appearances. Right, right. Bullshit. And, I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, it's all appearances. And, and, and you know, the thing is, the, though, that you know, it's everything that was super dangerous now is just a kind of a – is kind of a uh, – it moves on to someplace else that's really super dangerous, and – in terms of the smoking thing, back towards the end of uh, Melrose, there were still cigar uh, places, you know, cigar lounges being a, it was a big thing. And I said, "That's uh, oh great, everybody can go there and get mouth cancer and lung cancer." Uh, we made fun of it, but it was it was a big <laughs> deal. But that's back in the nineties. But well, you that's know, uh, you know. It's- it's hard for me because I used to see the only reason why I ever liked cigars once in a while was because I thought that if you smoked them like John Ford and Peter Bogdanovich, that your films uh-huh. could remotely end up like the searchers or last picture. Show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it was That's just what a cigar. happened, it man. The it was the cigars <laughs> that did it. If they hadn't yeah. had cigars. They would have been making Mickey Mouse cartoons. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so it was a good lesson. And you talk about reality and baloney. You're all, oh, okay. So there was more to it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it interests me on a side note how nuts people get because I occasionally, if I close a deal or achieve a really a goal I've been chasing for five or 10 years, I have mm-hmm. a cigar and, and people you would think that I'm shooting up in the middle of Walgreens the way they treat me. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, well, you just, I, I, so, go ahead. <laughs> well, that's, I, it, that's the, the norms change on you, man. You just gotta, you gotta go with the flow and take it out to the beach. Have your thing go, you know, <laughs> smoke your cigar, looking out over the waves, and it's still an iconic image. You can, you know, have someone take a picture of you doing that. Hey, and you know you me, know, I'm they, from Kauai, so I, I know about smoking things on the beach. That's right, exactly right. <laughs> and 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 uh, if there's a campfire going on on the beach, it's probably the lifeguards, and they're all drunk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, and like they're I eating you, and they're the, eating blue a pig, and they're happy men. I'll tell yes, you. Yes, exactly. No, I mean, I I liked when I, I did want to tell this story real quick of how we met because mm-hmm. it, for me, I, I have a premise on the show. I, I I I never have someone on if I don't like their film. We get screeners. I find no reason to bash something or mm-hmm. and um and then we never just compliment people to compliment them, but. I always, there's been the, you know, you have those four or five times in your life, whatever your career is, whatever that means, and mm-hmm. where there was people that kind of changed it or helped you. And uh, the way I had met Mr. South, uh, Frank, was I had a student mm-hmm. film festival in Hawaii, and it was kind of like on its last leg of we were self-funded, and, and it was just, it just literally took everybody throwing something in the pot. And and I saw him and uh, Mrs. South talking on a panel with some other people that were very affluent in Hawaii. And and they happened to be walking out of HIF, the Hawaii International Film Festival. Now I've realized that this is the best way to do it is, you know, like George Clooney says, ask. And if you get a no, you're still where you're at. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't know that then. I was just so like, I'm not going to be able to talk to these people and I was just learning to not be in awe and that people are people. I was never into celebrity, but I was always like, you know, and so long story short, I just walked up and I said, Hey, I have this student film festival and we show films from kindergartners through college and we're on all five islands. And they were just like, took my card. And basically I had a meeting with Frank. And once I said I was reading a Billy Wilder book, it kind of just turned into this long Billy Wilder talk. And and they were judges for the festival I ran. And it was just this great legitimacy stamp that that I think the business and society says we need to have. We don't, we don't need to chase. We can still do our projects. Um, but this has been a nice, cool, full circle moment for me because I remember when people would say to me, the financers or donors, well, who's uh-huh. the judges or who's involved? And you know, mm-hmm. the fact that we would say your name. I hate name dropping. That Like, since oh, then, I hated it. I, Anytime. It doesn't, you know, doesn't like, make any difference. In you. It doesn't, won't, won't, it won't get you much these days. But back then, it might have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, you know, and, and, it, and it really helped. And the, the festival ended up happening and being a success. And we had to, we had to, we ended up having to close it, unfortunately, just because the way my life went. 
But, um, mm-hmm. you know, that I just want to say that this was the type of person that um, that Mr. South, Frank, was was being and that he was involved in the art and not involved in the, you know, you meet these guys out here that, of course, Frank knows where, you know, they did mm. show run one hit show and all of a sudden, you know, they crap and it doesn't stink or, you mm-hmm. know. They can't get their own. I always say that if I ever hit a place where I can't get my own water, and no offense if you, I mean, I know you get so busy you can't, but if you ever truly. Believe me, I haven't had anybody get me a water since uh, probably decades now. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I I understand when you got Fox breathing down your ass and air, but Uh like just where I'm at now, we're just in the simplest way, unless I'm at that level. You know, I have friends that I that I've like ordered to punch me out if I'm ever like, can you hold the bathroom uh-huh. door for me? Or uh, <laughs> I, I was a P, I was a PA on The Descendants, and uh, and uh, the lead actor had to use the bathroom, and they this you know second second AD goes followed him, and he's what are you doing? Uh, they they told me to walk to the bathroom with you, and he, um, <laughs> I'm 50 years old. Um, I've I think I can find the toilet. Uh, please go back to the set. And I just remember thinking, that must be so annoying that like people are so into kissing your butt that they're going to walk you to the bathroom door. Mm-hmm. You know, you know how to get four Oscar nominations, but you don't know how to shit without a second AD mm-hmm. out, outside. So, you know, all those great lessons from people that I, I love to take and I love to share with. And, you know, it, it keeps me inspired in what I'm doing. You know, this, this show is, the way you said Melrose tied for you, that's what this show has been for me too. I'm so happy for you, Paul, because that is, you know, oh, thank to, you. Be, to have, to have something that you've worked for for so long and, uh, and to have it come together for you. It's, it's just, uh, it's great. Cause you know, you have such appreciation cause you see all these, all the stuff and you, all these, uh, pieces of art and things that aren't art and, and good films, bad films and everything. And you're, you've become so thick with knowledge and you're able to share it with people and, um, and your enthusiasm uh, is so infectious. It's, it's just great. Uh, I appreciate that. Cause really when we started this, I said, I know so many filmmakers in different States, I have to find a way to tie them together. But then, I got, well, I shouldn't say that anything was lucky about these, this election, but what made uh-huh. it lucky was that now that things are getting so divided, more and more guests are meeting through the show or they're, they're on uh-huh. a show together. Then when they're in LA and New York, they go for coffee together or they're in the same festival. Then they go and support each other's festival and they didn't know each other until they were on our show. So it's like, oh, that's that so cool. me is like the coolest feeling. Yeah. And this, you know, you'll find that people are uh, artists. They, they, there's a power uh, that you um, in in making stuff when people are trying to shut you up. So it, you'll find it. It just, uh, you know, people are more likely to come out now. And those, it's just you don't do it by, you know, you just do it by doing your work. And uh, you, you you stand up by doing your work. And um, you too, that's what you're doing, and um, it, that's what makes it. That's why you're 
an artist, and uh, uh, and that's why you create a show. That's why you follow your what your interests in your heart, and you, you just do it, um, no matter what's happening politically or in the world. Uh, you just do it, and you automatically are responding. Trust yourself. You're automatically responding to what's around you. Um, and um, no, I, I appreciate all, all those art words. is subversive, baby. All art is sub- all real art is. <laughs> no, I, I agree, and any that isn't should be or should find something. Uh, again, it was. I I appreciate that you stopped by today. I appreciate your stories. I'm I'm gonna say one thing that your Robert Altman story. Um, I myself don't drink or smoke weed anymore, but uh, I think like Martin Scorsese could probably get me to, or uh, <laughs> there's probably a few directors yeah. that I would consider throwing the wagon wheels off and going, you know what? Okay. Because I want to be able to say I got stoned with Scorsese, you know, yeah. but <laughs> well, I'm, for another I'm, time, uh, I guess. I'm, I'm sober 15 years and cause it just, oh, okay. you know, I was, I was not a, I, I can't do it. And I've got enough yeah. other, you know, as my show, I get my show was was called. I did my I did a one man show in L.A. about what seven years ago, called um, called Pay Attention, um, and there's a it's it, which was called um, uh, Hollywood on the Rocks, uh, ADHD hypomanic. Uh, I forget how it all goes, but I'm, uh, you know I have. Um, enough problems without uh, having, or enough challenge, not problems, challenges or, or you know, that uh, I don't need uh, alcohol just uh, to not help me. But um, back yeah, then. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's like, we have, I, I, it's like that famous saying, I have enough shit, I don't need yours, like. <laughs> yeah, right. And, um, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll let you know when, uh, and I'll send you a copy of my uh, book when it comes out. Um, okay. Um, it's called uh, "A Chicken in the Wind and How He Grew." Uh, okay. Stories from an ADHD dad. Um, okay. Well, and, hey, uh, every every guest is welcome back, and I've been so thankful that we've had a few that have been back three or four times. Uh-huh. I always say, unless you hang up and say, "God, why did I talk with that asshole?" Which I know you're probably not going to do. Um, you're welcome back. So. That's our motto here. We call them cousins of the family tree. So, you know, we, I have so many people I'd love to say, Hey, this is the 10th film we've covered of theirs, or this is the fifth project. Uh You know, please let me know when that's up and we'll, we'll come back and talk story about it. Okay, great. That'd be great. Good luck, Paul. Keep at that. Thanks so much. All right. Well, thank you. Take care and and give my aloha to Mrs. South. All right. Margaret says aloha to you, man. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Mm -hmm. Bye Bye-bye. Well, that was a wonderful chat with uh, Frank, Mr. Frank South. It it was, I think it was four, fifth, I guess, I guess 15 years ago this year that we met, and I I just still remember that day. Um, it was it was one of those moments. Uh, I was not just saying that where the career got to take a jump. And what I want to leave on that note is is that if if you're in a position to help any other artist in any other way, whether it's turning them on to some films, turning them on to B.B. King, turning them on to old Eric Clapton, turning them on to whatever, jazz, 
uh, whatever floats your boat, uh, this is all just a circle and we're all spinning in it. So roll with it. Aloha. Most of all right now in this world, I want to say peace. I don't care that it sounds like a hippie. I do have a beard and long hair. Most of all, like always, no matter what you're doing today, morning, evening, or night, make sure and watch a good film. Aloha.